Good morning, everybody. Warm welcome. Wonderful to be back. And this morning, I have the privilege of preaching and teaching and inspiring and encouraging you with reference to my heart's passion and desire as an Ephesians 4 evangelist to equip you in the, and commission you into the harvest fields of everyday life and living. You know, we all think the mission fields are in Africa or wherever, somewhere else in the world. Can I say your neighborhoods, your workplaces, they are your mission field. They are your mission field. But so often I struggle with the hesitancy that is in people's lives of why aren't they going? Why aren't they sharing? Why aren't they telling? And there's a number of reasons why, but I'd like to focus on one this morning in particular And I believe it's the reason that the gospel of the kingdom has not fully gripped their hearts and lives. The gospel of the kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 24 verse 14, he said, The gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations as a testimony, and then the end will come. And so often we have another gospel. It could be a gospel of, Lord, just all the benefits and the blessings. Or it could be a gospel of prosperity. It could be a gospel of presence. It could be another kind of a gospel. But to me, the gospel of the kingdom is where Jesus Christ is Lord. Where he is central, where he is king. If I could put it in another way, the gospel of the kingdom is where he rules, where he owns, where he is Lord, and where he is king. That's the gospel of the kingdom. And I do believe as we make that the focus, everything else sorts itself out. I do believe in healing. I do believe in prosperity. I do believe in the presence of God. But I believe as we focus on the gospel of the king and the kingdom, everything else falls into place. But I'd like you to turn with me the book of Hebrews chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading from verse 1 to 4. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 to 4, and then I'm going to be focusing on this glorious great gospel that I believe the Holy Spirit will help make more real to us this morning, because you live in that which is most real to you. God wants to take the head knowledge of the gospel and make it heart knowledge that affects our feet and the way we live and the way we act and everything else. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 of 4, reading, says, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. If I could just pause for a moment, I, I see too many drifting people. People drift here and they drift there. And you know what causes people to drift is wind. The analogy here is that of a, of a ship in an ocean, and it's wind. And the, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, cautioned us not to drift here and there and be blown here and there and tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. Because he wants us to be anchored in the knowledge of the gospel of the kingdom. Then he says, For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Now it doesn't say, reject such a great salvation. It says, neglect. It says, neglect. And how many of you know if you neglect a thing, it depreciates in value? 
But if we appreciate the greatness of our salvation, it grows in value in us. And it infects, it will infect every facet of our lives and living. And this morning, I'm wanting to focus on the greatness of our salvation. In 1 Timothy 1.11, Paul writing to Timothy, and he speaks about this gospel as a glorious gospel. It's fascinating that the word glory is associated with the gospel, and glory is one of the attributes and aspects of who God is. So the greatness of the gospel and the glory of the gospel, I'm going to just focus on briefly this morning. In fact, I feel sometimes, God, I hope I'm not dropping the ball because I'm just touching the tip of the iceberg. And each one of these points this morning, I'm trusting God to enlarge by His Holy Spirit. I'm trusting as I speak this morning, the Holy Spirit would put 3D glasses over your heart. That as the scriptures and truth is presented, your heart will go, whoa, whoa. I know the first time I ever watched a movie with 3D, I was going, because it was like, that's weird, it's wild. But that's how it ought to be when we read the Bible. It needs to come alive to us. The gospel of the kingdom can only be understood by revelation, not pure knowledge. Revelation is where your heart gets wowed. Firstly, the greatness and the glory of the gospel is revealed in God's unconditional love for us. You've heard this many, many times, but the gospel is the greatest love story ever told on this planet. Greater than Romeo and Juliet, greater than Othello, greater than any other love story you've ever heard or seen on the big screen. The gospel is God's passionate personal love for you and I and the lengths that he went for you and I to have a personal, real, and growing relationship with him. The Bible speaks in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were living in rebellion and a debauched life, he died for us, demonstrating the greatness of his love. In John 15 verse 13, it says, Greater love is no man than this, than to lay his life down for us. God's unconditional love gives us a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth chance. God's unconditional love goes beyond when Paul tries in the book of Ephesians to reveal the greatness of God's love for us. He, he prays that we'd have eyes to see the length, the height, the depth, and the breadth of the love of God. The four divine dimensions of the love of God that we need to regularly reflect and meditate upon. I like to call it the divine stain of love in our lives that ruins us for the ordinary. When our hearts are being captivated by His love, nothing else matters. But when we haven't, then we start struggling and striving and looking for the love in other places that will always leave a bitter taste and disappoint us. Because it's only His love that will eternally satisfy us. I would encourage you, my wife Shirley and I have, have gone on a journey with deepening our understanding of God's love. And Shirley has also gone through looking at different descriptive words of God's love. Now I'm just going to mention them to you. But each and every one of them are in the Bible for us to explore. Firstly, in the Psalms it speaks of His love as precious. His love is tender. 
His love is dear. His love is deep. His love is kind. His love is enduring. His love is endearing. His love is patient. His love is strong. His love is unfailing. His love is everlasting. His love is inseparable. The Bible says He set His affection on us. The Bible says His love draws us. And you could go on and on and on. And each one of them just begins to undo our hearts a little bit more and more and more and more. And when the greatness of this unconditional love begins to grip our hearts, it propels us forward. That's why the Apostle Paul speaks of the love of God that compels him. The word compel means to hold together and propel forward. And I believe the mission fields, the harvest fields of everyday life are there for us, but often we caught up with ourselves instead of with the greatness of his love for us. John 3.16 needs to be personal. It needs to be real. God so loved me. The second point is the greatness of the gospel is revealed in its magnitude and its plan. The gospel was not something that after Adam disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis, it wasn't that God went, whoa, what are we going to do now? Book of Revelations chapter 13 verse 8, it says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the creation of the world. God is eternal and He lives outside of time and space. He lives outside of diaries and deadlines. He's eternal. And when we begin to see the enormity of that, our hearts just go, wow, God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 and verse 20, it says this great plan of salvation angels long to look into. It says they look in and they go, whoa, I just, it's just, it's just too amazing that, that a God of such compassion and love would reach out to a rebellious, disobedient mankind and give his life for them. That's the greatness of the gospel. The greatness of the gospel is also revealed in the price that he paid. Now, nowadays, whenever we go to the shop, we always look at the price tag. Is that correct? And it's always the price tag that determines whether we get it or not in the light of our budget. But when it came to redemption, there was no price tag. Nothing was too much for God to send a son to give us life that we could be reconciled back to him. The most expensive gift on this planet was nothing compared to the price that Jesus Christ paid for you and I to be reconciled back to him. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 to 20, it says that you and I have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, not with silver and gold, but with his very own precious blood. I, I now and again give blood, and I'm a, I think a, a negative, I'm an unusual blood group and they always phone me to come give blood, come give blood and I was once giving blood and I was reflecting Jesus what blood group were you? and immediately what rose up in my heart was three scriptures in 1 Peter it says his blood is precious his blood is holy and Judas said, I have betrayed the blood of an innocent man. 
Jesus' blood group was holy, precious, and innocent. That's the lengths that he went for you and I to be restored into relationship with him. The fourth element that makes this gospel so great and so glorious is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Where God himself came down in the person of Jesus to die on the cross for you and I. And as you read the gospels and you follow the disciples and the crowds, there are four amazing words that, that categorize who this Jesus is. It speaks of wonder, awe, amazement, and terror of who Jesus is. I'll give you some Bible examples. In Mark chapter 4, verse 41, do you remember when, when, when the disciples were in the boat and the wind and the waves and they thought they were going to drown and they were going to die? And Jesus comes and says, just be still, he comes walking. It says they were terrified. They were terrified. And they said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Is there that element of awe and wonder of Jesus who has total mastery of all the elements? In Mark chapter 2, when he heals the crippled person, it says this crippled person walked out in full view of everyone. It says they were amazed and they praised God and they made this statement, we have never seen anything like this. That same Jesus is alive and real and well and here this morning who still wants to do those things. But there needs to be, yes, Jesus, you can do it. I love Matthew 28 verse 8 with reference to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And you know how Peter and they ran to the tomb and the women were there and they hurried to the tomb and they had this mixed emotion. It says they were filled with joy and afraid. There was like terror and glee, excitement and panic. That, that's what Jesus brings to us. He embraces us, he overwhelms us, he undoes us, puts us together, wrecks us. But that's the greatness of his plan. The greatness of this gospel is revealed in its invitation to the whosoever. And it's phenomenal to think that this gospel is from billionaires to paupers and everybody in between. I know when our two daughters got married, and those that have got daughters, uh, it's a wonderful privilege raising daughters. But one thing when it comes to wedding, they've got their own minds made on what they would like. And it's a wonderful privilege. It's great. I loved every moment walking my two daughters down the aisle. But you know what? When it comes to who's coming, you've got to sharpen your pencil because of price and, and, and who and what and how. But when it comes to the gospel invitation, it says in Titus chapter 2 verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So it's everybody come. All are invited. Nobody excluded. Everybody included. That's the vastness and the greatness of this glorious gospel that's been entrusted to us. All are welcome. It's like Jesus just saying, come, come, come. No cost. The price has been paid. Jesus says yes to all who come to him in faith and with a repentant, sorrowful heart 
towards the way they live. That's the glory and the greatness of the gospel. I want to encourage you to reflect on this and let it begin to grip your heart. You see a person in, 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 a, in a destitute, desperate situation, the invitation is to him. You look at what's happening in the world and the presidents, the invitation is to them. All. Sixthly, the gospel's greatness is revealed in its blessings and its benefits. In Psalm 103, verse 2 to 5, David has prophetic insight into this amazing gospel. He says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Firstly, he forgives all of our sins. He presses the delete button on everything when we say, Jesus, my Lord, my master, my king. He deletes it. He doesn't back it up. Doesn't go into memory. Doesn't go into the cloud. He presses delete. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad about that. He deletes. He forgives. The Bible says he remembers no more. That phrase blew me away because I thought, God, you who, who have all wisdom and all knowledge and you're transcendent and all things, yet you choose to remember my sin no more. Because it says he counts not our sins against us. That's the glory of the gospel, the greatness of the gospel. He deletes our sin, but then he downloads into us all the great and wonderful things we have in Christ Jesus. So coming from the red, he deletes. That would make us broke. But then he credits to us everything that we need for life and living in Christ Jesus. It says he forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with love and compassion and satisfies your desires with good things. And your youth is renewed like the eagles. That's the beauty and the glory of the gospel. He doesn't leave you in the red. He brings you into a spacious place, into freedom, into liberty, he, he restores us with him, and he begins to restore relationally with other people. He connects. He frees. That's the glory of the gospel. Lastly, and to me there are many, many more points. I'm just focusing on these this morning. The greatness of the gospel is revealed in its simplicity. You don't have to know Hebrew and Greek. You don't need to know. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. There needs to be faith in our hearts towards what he's done for us. And a truly repentant, sorrowful heart. And a turning from that and a turning to him. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 8, If you confess with your mouth and believe with all your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. See, when there's a connection from the heart to heaven through Jesus change begins. There's the believing in, and then there's the following of Jesus, and becoming his disciple, and going out into the harvest field. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, salvation is found in no other name, given among men under heaven, by which we must be saved. Can I say to you, life's too brief to think, to hope, but God's Spirit helps us to know that we know that we know that we belong to Him. 
Now this morning, as we conclude, there's a particular clip that I'm going to show you. Many of you have possibly seen this clip in the movie called The Passion of the Christ. Now, there is an age restriction from a violence point of view. So if you have your little ones with you, I'll allow you as parents to make the call whether you keep them in or take them through to the mom's room. However, I want to say to you, I'll leave that call completely and entirely up to you. Now, you might say, and, and I've watched this movie two, three times, and, and every time I've watched it, my heart's just broken with reference particularly to the physical element side of Christ's suffering. But you know what? The passion, Mel Gibson, just reflects the physical element side of it. But I want to say to you this morning, there is a spiritual side and a soul side I'm wanting to talk on briefly. The spiritual side was equally as devastating as the physical. Because Jesus, on through the gospel, spoke of his oneness with the Father. The Father and me, and I am the Father. And the Father has not left me alone. And it's just a oneness. But when it came to Gethsemane, it came to the cross. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was paying the price of separation that through the glorious gospel, we could be united with him. There's that aspect and element. That's why I cannot pray, God, please be with us. To me, that's one of the most unbiblical prayers to pray when he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He paid the price at the cross that we could have oneness with him and wherever we go, he goes. That's the wonder of the cross. He was abandoned. He was deserted. At the cross, by the Father, that we could have sweet intimacy with Him. The suffering of the soul that Jesus had. He was not only betrayed by Judas, but Peter, one of his closest, denied him. He bore the pain of all of that. And he would prophesy in the Psalms that the shepherd would be struck and the sheep would be scattered. All 11 ducked when Judas and the Roman soldiers and the Pharisees came to arrest Jesus in Gethsemane. You know the feeling of being abandoned by the Father, the disciples ducking and just being alone. He did that, that we could enjoy family as a church. I was reflecting on Gethsemane. You know what Gethsemane means? Olive press. Wine press, it was a place where grapes, olives were pressed. You press an olive and olive uh, wine, oil, uh, oil comes out and wine comes from the grapes. You know, Jesus was so pressed in Gethsemane by the weight of the sin of the world, blood came from him. Blood oozed from his pores, experiencing the weight and the pressure of the sin of humanity that you and I could be forgiven and receive the gift of righteousness that we can stand right before him as if we have never sinned. Justified. Our sins not counted against us that we can enjoy intimacy with him and our following him. Now this morning, I'm gonna, we're going to play that clip 
I trust all moms, little bit little ones and dads and little ones, that if you don't want your little ones to see it to have left, which is great. I pray that as we watch this, it would grip your hearts afresh of the greatness of this gospel, the glory of the gospel, and that we would respond in gratitude to that. In gratitude and thanks. And then secondly, is how with the knowledge of this is your life going to change tomorrow when you go to the office? That when you say hello to your neighbors later, how is what you've experienced by way of visual sight and having heard, how's it going to change? Because the gospel's purpose is to change us, to transform us, to be more like Jesus. That's the whole goal of it, not to just to be good, respectable people, but to be Christ followers and follow him. Lord, this morning as I've delivered just in a small measure, manner and way, the greatness and the glory of your gospel, I pray as we view this clip, our hearts would be so deeply stirred and moved afresh and anew that we would live our lives so different that, Lord, we would hold out the word of life more and more, that we would be unashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because we believe it is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, I pray this morning that every day we would live with such gratitude for what you've done for us, that this morning as we hold the emblems of the bread and the wine, the new covenant that you yourself came and gave your life, that we could have life, we'd be forever grateful. Forever grateful. Father, I pray that this morning, in Jesus' name,